hey, Alex Simmons. It's me, Chris Ryan. Are you ready to tell the damn story, my brother? Wow, 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 wow. He's, he's, it sounds like he's ready to sell us a car. Yes. <laughs> How you doing, Chris? How's Order it? today, we'll throw in the tires for free. That's right. All three. All right. <laughs> so, Alex Simmons, here we are. We're on episode 123. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, 123. How about that? 123. That's pretty cool. Of um, Tell the Damn Story, where we. What show uh, is Kind of warm up with some personality and then kind of get into some stuff about the creative life and how uh, you might be able to do it a little better. Right? Yeah. So, and we got um, stuff for you coming up. So just hang in there. Right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, first, we want to start. You know, it looks like we're making stuff up the entire show. Ah! <laughs> I say. Yes, you say it again. It goes into this. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, we get in touch with each other all week saying, how about this? How about this? How about this? And uh, don't this say anything morning, else. Just that. Yeah. yeah that, and then we hang up. Yeah. Um, this morning, um, I got a text from you while I was in the shower, which is why I didn't answer right away. Good man. Mm. Good man. Thank you. Um, but Scary. you sent a clip over, um, I think it was Dan Rather. Uh, it was oh, actually Mike Wallace. Which Mike Wallace. Mike they're Wallace not going to know either one of them. Um, Rod Serling, which I thought was fascinating. Maybe. And you uh, you want to talk to about why you, uh, why you sent it that way? Yeah, I sent it because, um, I mean, for those of you who don't know who Rod Serling is, he was the creator of the original Twilight Zone TV series, which is iconic, and was created back in the 60s. And I, we're not going to go heavy into it now because we're going to do actually an episode about that and the new one. But right. what's interesting is because it was very iconic and groundbreaking, there's been a lot of articles and stories and things about him and the show and the creation of for years. And I'm watching this interview with him, and he said something that completely threw me and seemed counter to a lot of things I heard about him and the attitude and the philosophy behind the show. Now, what was that now? Well, see if I, yeah. It's kind of ah, stay tuned. Yeah, it's you gotta stay teaser. tuned because it it counters, like I said, a lot of the stuff that m many of us who are fans of the show that yeah, there he is, wow, that's cool, right? And then he said what he said, but I think he might have said it that way for a very specific reason. And if you guys want to know what the heck we're talking about, you gotta tune in next week, or at least we're gonna do it in the next few weeks. We're gonna do an episode about Rod's yeah. original Twilight Zone and the new Twilight Zone. Right. And just talk about, you know, storytelling and, and all of the theme thematic aspects of doing a series like that. But either way. Right. Um, so people, can, that, if they want to be involved, right? If they want to be involved, mm -hmm. they can YouTube Mike Wallace interviews Rod Sermon. That's right. right? They can, yeah. And they can look around. I don't know whether it would be Hulu or Netflix or, um, you know, somewhere else. Just Google um episodes classic twilight zone episodes see yeah. a few of those um and was it all access a, a cbs all access CBS. has the, has the um and who does those oh i knew you were gonna say that it's uh <laughs> it was created by one of the uh the partners of uh was it keenan and peel yeah it was uh it was jordan peel Jordan, Jordan Peele, Peele, who gave us... He did Get, Get Out, he did Us, and he did this. Yeah, um, so he's created... Based very much on Rod Serling's uh, um, format, and mm -hmm. then very modernized. So yeah, okay. uh, that's going to be part of my homework, because I don't have uh, all-access uh, CBS. I have to go and get it now for this show. Yeah, you know, but the things we do, 
to help the things educate, we do. educate our yes. audience, you know, is intense. So we may just warning, we may get a few extra uh, opinions. Uh, I've just been attacked by animals. Um, <laughs> both Sonny Millman, our um, security chief, yeah. uh, over here at uh, Seamus Anunzio Productions, and Silvio, the production manager and editorial manager, have both come in and are both, you know, making themselves known. So yes. there we go. Yes. All right. So uh, coming soon, uh, Rod, uh, Rod Sterling, uh, Serling, excuse me, episode, uh, be there. Uh, we will talk soon about that. Yeah. Now, yes. in an almost Twilight Zone moment, <laughs> Alex Simmons, <laughs> just a man, one yeah. Alex Simmons, found himself on a subway platform. <laughs> a subway platform that was about to take him to the Twilight Zone. Tell us what Tell us what happened, Alex. I you know, I live in New York, which in and of itself is the Twilight Zone. Okay. New York City, baby. Yeah, I know, not New Jersey, not Milwaukee, not Nebraska. I live in New York City and we do many things. And one of the more Twilight Zone aspects of New York City is the subway system. So I was about to get on, for those of you who know New York, this will make sense. For the rest of you, don't worry about it. I was about to get on a train, the number one train. I don't mean it's the best train in the world. That's just its number. number the name one. of the line is right, number Seventh one. Avenue line, number one train to go home, to go north. And I get on the train, and it announces that uh, because it's after 9.15 at night, they're doing track work. It's only going to go a few stops, and then it's going to stop, and you have to get off, get on a bus upstairs, and travel for what will double your time, your travel time, to get to another point where you can get back on the train. And so I'm what you're home. saying is it's a typical day in New York City. Absolutely. Typical right. day in the neighborhood without <laughs> sweater and sneakers. And so I'm going, oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to change train lines, get on a D train, all right, on the I and D line, go north that way because I'll get home so much quicker without you all know. this nonsense. So I change and get on the D train. And I leave to it. avoid the hassle. Yeah, exactly. So I can get home quicker because it's nighttime and I'm tired. Give his last word. And I get on the train at Columbus Circle, 59th Street, right? And it's going to run express to 125th, and then it's going to hit a few stops, and I'll be in my neighborhood, no problem. Get on the train, and we start running express. And I'm a little, I'm a little sleepy, I'm a little tired, so I'm just, just starting to sort of relax a little bit. I'm going to close my eyes, and the train starts crawling, and crawling. And then it actually stops in a very dark spot in the tunnel. We don't stop at a station. We don't stop, you know, where there's light and everything. We stop in what is the middle of this dark, dark tunnel. And we're sitting there, because this is typical for New York. You sit for a little while and then you move on, congestion, whatever it is. No, we don't move, we don't move, we don't move. Time's going by. We got a great conductor who is telling us in the most, you know, normal, average, average guy kind of dialogue, that there's congestion ahead, there's this, there's, it's always congestion for about 15, 20 minutes, it's congestion. I'm thinking, how many trains are ahead of us, for God's sake, right? And then slowly it changes. It's not congestion. There's police investigation going on at a station ahead of us. And just as, the, I think it was like maybe another 15, 20 people in the car, we're all sort of reacting to that. <laughs> the lights go dim in the car. The lights go out in the tunnel. I mean, it was a dark tunnel to begin with, but there was these little work lights. They go out. 
And the dimming of the lights in the car tell us without question that there's no power coming to the car except whatever the auxiliary power is on the train itself. And there's one light comes on and Rod Sterling, Rod Sterling steps into it and says, you have just entered the twilight zone. So what happens here with this it, uh, blackout underground? Underground and a police investigation we have no details about, but we understand that there's somewhere roaming in the darkness around us. And we sit there for almost 45 minutes or more. And then finally, the lights come back on. We get, we go, you know, going forward, we pull into a train station. We still have no information as to what happened, but supposedly it's over and it begins to take us further north. And I eventually got home an hour and a half later than I would have had I done the bus thing. Right. Well, you know, no good deed goes unpunished, right? That's um, That'll show me to think I can outthink the MTA. No, you can't. You can't. It's New York City that broke. Um, but what it does, what this little anecdote does, is it sets us up for today's get your right on topics. That's right. Get your uh, right because on. Because even if in real life nothing came of it, that scenario is perfect setting for a Rod Serling type Twilight Zone story. That's. Uh, <laughs> If you're watching this on video, I just got smacked in the face by Silvio's tail. He is the production manager here at Seamus and Nunzio Productions, and he thinks I should be writing. So this is his way of telling me to get on the stick there. All right. So I wish people could see. <laughs> All right. So um, that setting, the setting, uh, um, I love that. The announcement was there's a police investigation, right? That's the perfect setting for the beginning of a crime story, a mystery story, a thriller, a horror. horror. Yeah. I mean, sci-fi. You could really go anyway. So let's talk today about settings and the importance of settings. Um, how early in the production of a story or in the writing of a story? does settings start um, mattering to you, Alex? To me, uh, literally, especially if I'm doing any kind of a thriller or adventure story, it's, it starts with the first page. Because I'm, I'm going to set a mood and a tone for the story, but I'm also, you know, if it's a suspense scenario, I might be lulling you at first, just ever so slightly, giving you just a sense or a taste of the environment we're going to be in, and then mm -hmm. off we go. So That's interesting. The, now, in... In the pre-writing, in the planning, do you mm -hmm. have setting in your head? Uh, it, it, how it, early, let me rephrase it, how early in the pre-planning, when you're thinking of the uh, story, does setting start to match? Well, let me use an example. Uh, in Blood and Honor, uh, which is an early Blackjack uh, graphic novel that I did, um, the, the, the really the first thought that came to me was the situation he was going to be dealing with, which is eventually he was going to wind up in Japan bodyguarding this dignitary who was speaking out against Japan's uh, involvement in World War II. So I knew that. And then that meant, okay, I got to know more about Japan, and I've got to figure out, is he going to be in New York, or is he already going to be over there? So the plot, the basic plot, the essence of the plot told me that I was going to definitely be in Japan. And within a few pages of writing just notes, I knew I was also going to be in China. Right. And so those two things immediately said something to me. And I didn't have the work, I'm sorry, I didn't have the 
the uh, the whole adventure mapped out at all. Obviously, right. I knew there was going to be some challenges and, and fighting and stuff like that, but I didn't really know more than Japan and China. Right. But now what I'm hearing here is that uh, plot, plot dictated setting. Mm-hmm. In this in this case in particular, right. yes. It, did you ever start off with, oh, I want to write a story in Paris and then go from there? You ever do yeah. setting first? We, we, we both did. <laughs> <laughs> another another blackjack. Well, there was one, in, uh, actually two other blackjack stories. One in Scotland and one in Paris. I started out. No, I'm, I'm sorry, in Russia. I started out knowing that's where I wanted to be. In you know, I wanted. Oh, right you mean trial by ice, trial by fire? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. Trial I didn't start off with the setting. I didn't know where I was going to be. No, I knew. Yeah, well, you had him in Germany, and I yeah. knew that I was. I, my story was going to take place in Russia, so I knew that immediately and right. began to do research as well as I'd been there a couple of times, I did research to help, you know, support the plot that I was thinking of. Right, right, right. How it would be, yeah. I, uh, for that one, I wanted, I know I wanted Blackjack to have to be with a stranger and children. And I started playing with that, and I started asking you um, some questions about uh, a story that has yet to see the light of day, Mm. um, which features Blackjack... Uh, being hired to protect Jesse Owens at uh, the Olympics, mm-hmm. uh, 1936 Olympics. So I I asked you for the end of that story, and I'm sorry that cat is being an idiot. Um, and it was I mean it was well into developing the rest of the story when I realized it would be really great to start him exhausted. Mm. And then I started asking you a lot of questions about the Jesse Owens uh, story and found out uh, a plot element that happens at the end of that story and asked permission to write this story right after the Jesse Owens story happened. So I would incorporate those things. And then it made sense. Well, if he's still in Berlin where the Olympics happened and Mm -hmm. if all those events that you told me about that story had just happened the one thing he would want to do is get out out and this entire story would prevent him from doing the one thing he wanted to do so then uh, berlin became uh, uh, an important setting so plot dictated setting for me and then i had to use the google machine to once i realized he was going to take a train out then i had to research the Berlin train station in that year. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that if, if we're saying anything about setting, it's that once the story starts dictating where you're going to be, then you start doing some research to find out what that setting is like, because what it's like will dictate what you can and cannot do in, in the story. And most of the time, it'll, uh, it'll help. It'll also it, you know, help, exactly, I was going to say, it will inform you, because um, years ago, uh, years ago, I did, um, let me say, I'm, I'm, I'm theoretically not supposed to talk about this, the name of the series that I did, so I'll put it this way. I did this story about these two teenage boy detectives, and right. yeah, normally they're in the United States, but sometimes they, they travel around, and my plot involved them being in Africa. Right. And I had never been to Africa. And yeah, you can you can look at documentaries, you can look at you know movies, and you can read, and you can do all kinds of that research. But I wanted a more visceral, tactile experience 
so that it would impact on them. You know, I could write the characters that this environment was impacting on them and vice versa. And so I managed to finagle enough money to take a trip uh, to, to uh, Kenya. And Big time. Look at you. <laughs> I love you too, right? And and the the being there really did inform me. I mean, whereas, yeah, you could watch movies, see documentaries, listen to people talk about it, blah, blah, blah. But you don't have a smell. You don't have a sense of smell or, or, or aromas and fragrances and, and odors and things. You don't have the hands-on tactile experience. You don't feel the temperature changes. You don't hear certain sounds and things that you pick up on it. You somehow become affected by it. And in many cases, the camera shows you exactly what the director wants you to see. So there's aspects of the environment that you don't see because it's not integral to the story they're telling. So in my case, traveling around for two weeks, I got to see, you know, the good, bad and the ugly um, and, and the ugliest, uh, a couple of the ugliest things I saw, which involved animals in the environment, uh, wound up in the story along with some of those other sensory experiences. So, you know, in that case, not only knowing the environment ahead of time, but then going there, I was affected by it, and it then affected the story. Right. Um, you know, exotic locations have that happen. You know, I just want to right. I, I myself don't travel to exotic locations, even if I'm writing about them. I... <laughs> we'll see if we can change that. You know? God, God bless you, pal. Um, <laughs> But I find that you can uh, you can get enough of a sense, uh, especially you know a story like Blackjack, where um, most of the drive is action and and the purity of this particular character's heart and soul. You know, mm -hmm. so um, I I researched Berlin Station and got some pictures and made you know, and then I kind of kind of played with it from there. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes um, there'll be a setting that's based on somewhere, but I will consciously not use the name of that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I did two, uh, a couple, more than two, actually, um, younger uh, cast stories mm -hmm. where there's uh, uh, teenagers involved and, and, and some adults and that kind of stuff. And one was uh, based on like two or three towns that I knew, but just made up a name and mm -hmm. pick and choose what I wanted. And you, you build the world, world building, you know, and the setting uh, is entirely dictated uh, in those cases. Hey, there's uh, my production manager, Silvio, yeah, right in my face. Yeah, your shoulder there. Um, yeah, he's very friendly. That's uh, Silvio. He, was, he might put his hand on my, or his palm on my palm, on my face. Well, later. he was touching hey, his before. Why you don't work? Yeah. Um, but with the setting, it becomes a function of the plot for me. Um, I know some people, they like to set up the setting and then place their carriages in there mm -hmm. and, and have them run around. A lot of my stories are set in New York City because I know New York City. And now the suburbs, since I'm learning the suburbs, I'm more comfortable with that. Um, but... I think the first rule we're saying is, you know, let the plot dictate your setting, right? Yeah, um, if you were going to go the other way, what advice would you give writers? If you say, well, listen, I got a contract. They want a blackjack story in um, Venezuela. 
what would you do? Uh, you know, again, go back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, which is, again, there are all these other sources you can use to get a sense. I did one where he's in Brazil. I've never been to Brazil. That's 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 on me, folks. Um, and so I had a friend that, that lived there. <laughs> I've, I've never played been to Brazil, but I've played one on TV. Yeah, right. But on both. Yeah. Um, you know, I had a friend who lived there. And so I asked some questions. I did the whole thing with the maps. I, I definitely looked at documentaries or anything that had film or video footage of it. And I did everything I could to get a sense of. And that's that's a part of what I think both of us are saying here. The anything other than going to the place, you get a sense of it. You you do as much research as you can, you get as much information as you can, and you get a sense of it. My, right. my overall feeling, and I'm not saying you have to do this, but going to the place gives you even more information, right? Filters through you, right? And then you can use that. But like I said, in case of Brazil and a couple of other places that I've had him do stories or I've had him uh, in the background. Uh, I'm sorry, as a background. I had these locations as right. a background. Right. I do whatever homework is necessary to get as much of a sense of the place as I possibly can. And then you let your imagination run. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have to. Oh, by the way, one thing, I don't know depending where you're listening to this, folks, but for instance, you know, there's certain exotic locales that I haven't been to that uh, are known for certain types of plants or flowers or, or, or type of food or something. And then the wonderful thing about New York is, aside from having these different communities where a lot of different people, you know, have come to live, like you have a little Italy, you have a little Cuba, you have a little Korea, all in, all in the New York area. You can go and you can get some sense of the, the smell of the foods and things. We also have the botanical gardens. So there's a lot of different types of plant life and flowers that you can actually go somewhere and take in the scent. And it helps you get a, you know, a, a, another reference you can use within the story to build that world that you have not physically been in. Right. Nothing, nothing beats being there. Yeah. Um, but if you can and you're doing the research, research all five senses. Yeah. You know? yeah. And with YouTube and everything else, you can get sights and sounds. Um, and you might have to look around and see what's there and imagine what it might smell like. But, you know, those yeah. are important. Um, I want to go to two other things today, if it's okay with you. Yeah. Um, and it's tied in specifically to setting. So this is a very setting-oriented episode. Um, time of day mm. and time of year. Uh, let's go with time of year first. Does the season make a difference to your storytelling? To some, very specifically, yes. To others, no. And, of course, your plot is going to be one of the things you use to sort of determine that. Um, there's, to me, there are some stories, like, I want it to be cold. Uh, somehow that, that atmosphere ties into the tale that I'm telling. So right. I, I will check, you know, what would be the good time of the season, especially if it's another location I haven't been to what time of year would that kind of environment or weather pattern or whatever exist in that place? So I might do that. But I think, I think sometimes when you're doing a moody piece or you're doing an adventure piece or a thriller, I think atmosphere uh, is, is definitely uh, affected by um, day or night, time of year. And so, yeah, you should look into that. Yeah. I think um, one, on one of my novels, uh, 
the time of year was very specific. It was Holy Week, but I kind of moved that in the rewrites from the foreground to the far, further and further into the background. And I think it's mentioned uh, maybe twice or three times mm -hmm. uh, before the climax. And then there's an echo in the climax. So if you pick it up, you pick it up, right? Um, other times I have been almost entirely through the first draft and asked myself, what what season are we in? Are, you know, <laughs> is school open? I don't, you know. Yeah. And and for me, it might be a mortal sin for others, but for me, uh, that can be addressed in the second draft because you may realize it's it's a different this season and that season. You may also, while you're writing the story, even if you. Yeah, but like well, for me, it's index cards. For some people, it's outlines. And when you're elaborating on from those one or two lines to the whole scene, you may start realizing you're tending towards a particular kind of weather. Mm, and mm -hmm. That weather happens at a particular time of year, and then you discover that's the time of year it's happening. I mean, that's as far as I'm concerned, that's very acceptable, you know. Other people would tell you they have the exact dates. I, I don't feel completely married to that, but, you know, sure. Whatever makes the story move forward from your heart and soul through your fingers onto the whatever it is you're writing on, onto the keyboard or onto the screen or whatever, or big yellow legal pad if you're, you know, mm -hmm. from the Stone Age. Um, now... <laughs> a little more into a nitty-gritty the time of day the time of night and even the clicking uh ticking clock right that uh or the clicking trope. clock too that's fine. yeah that well that's yeah. a whole different thing and yeah. you know i think we need an entirely separate episode for that <laughs> um first of all time of day do you know when you're first writing this scene not always no no yeah. and, and does i don't want to create the image that i am so meticulous when I lay out everything because I'm not. I think no, you're not. Yeah, you're, I've seen your writing pages. Yeah, thank you. You have. You know sometimes no, seriously. Sometimes you just write ideas all over a page. Yeah, and it, that doesn't work for me at all. But index cards do, and if you throw index cards across the table, it's the same exact thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, you know, I, I I want people to understand. You know, our listeners to understand in particular. Not everything comes, you know, in the pre-setup uh, um, of, 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 of getting to the story. And that wasn't exactly as articulate as I'd like to be. In, in the preliminary work, when you're doing plot or outline and all that, you don't get all your ideas there. You don't, you don't know everything there. A lot of it does come from the writing, you know. Mm -hmm. And as, as things sort of come together, as characters formulate and all these things really start to gel, you start to get more ideas. You start to be more impacted by the story and see how to finesse things. So for me, there are times when I didn't even think about, I mean, I might have thought about the time, whether it was morning or not, but there are other aspects of that I didn't think of. I didn't think about the weather. I didn't think about a specific time, blah, 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 mm -hmm. until maybe uh, the second rewrite or the third rewrite. And I'm going through and I go, well, wait a minute. If this is supposed to happen here, then maybe I better make this such right. and such. Right, right. right. And I have switched day to night and night to day 
in later drafts to better serve the story, mm-hmm. you know, and then you make the adjustments as again. I think um, one time uh, the climax of a particular novel I was working on, uh, I wanted the climax to begin at three o'clock on Good Friday. Mm. You know, and Judeo-Christian, that is the time where, you know, uh, Jesus Christ, according to Christianity, well, Christianity, was murdered, uh, murdered, was crucified from noon to three o'clock on uh, Good Friday. And and it is accomplished and all that stuff happened at three o'clock. And I wanted that to be echoing in this Mm -hmm. uh, uh, story because of all the other struggles that, you know, so it's subtext. But it was third, fourth draft where I was working my way backwards so we wouldn't wind up having two Thursdays or something <laughs> like that, right? God, and yeah. that's okay. That's okay. Come on, everybody relax. The fuzzy creatures are all over him, folks. It, just makes- it, it, is, it is ridiculous. And one is growling to the other, and they don't care about podcasts whatsoever. Well, I or think setting, I, or setting. I think or, they're or giving you background, background sounds and things, you know? Oh, so, they, are, they are chasing each other out of the room, so good. Ah, good, okay. Um, so we can, we can adjust time and we can go through the draft if, if, if it's that important. Mm-hmm. You can go through the draft just for the time to make sure it all lines up right. and if and there's so, a ticking if there's a ticking clock that's what i was going for yeah, yeah you definitely will go back to make sure it all aligns that's right um what do you got to say about that no well i was going to say you know sometimes time is the time bomb it is the thing that's right. building suspense that you know that the the character the lead character i won't necessarily say hero the lead character has only a set amount of time to accomplish x before terrible things happen or someone's life is lost or whatever. And so you use time uh, in your, you know, you use time to help set up that intensity, that mood, that suspense, that thrill. And it is key that if you're using it, that you use it correctly. (laughs) (laughs) Because you don't, you don't want, you don't want to literally blow up in your face and go, oh, dang, I I didn't change such and such. And I said it was this. And now people, with the press is that. And it's very embarrassing. It's very embarrassing, you know. So you, you try when it's necessary to be that meticulous or accurate, do it. Right. But if your story can take place on a Thursday, and you don't feel you have to make sure we know that it started at eleven in the morning and ended at five in the evening, don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I think that again is a um, element of rewriting where. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that it's a Thursday. No, if it doesn't matter, don't tell them. Yeah. Because people, readers, and and rightfully so, they will take information and expect it to be important. Mm-hmm. So if you if you know, just like they always tell you, um, if you're only using a character for one scene to do one thing, don't give that character a name mm. because names signify importance to the reader. You know, if you're gonna. Have someone, oh, that's, uh, that's that's Leo. Okay, all right. And never see Leo again. You finish the story, and then one of these days, I'll be like, what the hell, the hell ever happened to Leo? You know, so if you know, it's, right. it's all function. Uh, right. Function uh, dictates form in that way. I had writing students of mine do the exact opposite. They're, they're into, like, their second draft of the script. I get it, and I'm going, what's the name of your lead character? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah you gotta yeah. know. You gotta a, know, bro. <laughs> B, e girl. What, 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 what are you talking about? What is their name? I don't know. That's not really important now. No, on contraire. It is very important. Yeah, that's, yeah, it is, you know, again, if, if we're going to go in that direction, then, then main elements matter. Mm-hmm. You know, Wizard of Oz, she had to be in a little town in Kansas so that Oz would look special, right? If she was living in Tokyo and went to Oz, mm, debatable about which one's more magical, you know, yeah. or New York City, Manhattan, right? If yeah. she lived in a, 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 a sky-high apartment in pure luxury and then wound up in Oz, it's not that great a leap, right? You're right. not going to that special world. So it's similarly... If we found her in Can- going from Kansas to Oz, and we still didn't know her name was Dorothy, Dorothy yeah. Gale, the girl, then, yeah, then we wouldn't have been able to cement our uh, support for her, and and that's not going to happen, you know. And um, same thing with someone like James Bond; he very rarely identifies himself, but once in a while there'll be that that line, you know. Yeah, Bond, James Bond. Yes, it's, or, and it's, it's a stylized thing. Last name first. Right. In many yeah. cases, last name yeah. first. It, well, in, in that particular case, because the setting is espionage, it's that, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's that world, so it works in that world. If he was an accountant and he said, you know, I'm Smithers, Conroy Smithers, it wouldn't <laughs> make a damn bit of business. So, you know, setting matters in that way. Um, to give a, a, a another... Um, spy thriller type example where the opposite is true. Dashiell Hammett's Continental Op, that's all we ever knew him as. Mm. Never got his name. But that was part of the appeal of that particular person. Or the Clint Eastwood Westerns, The Man With No the Name. Man With No Name. Yeah, that's right. First name was No, last name was Name. <laughs> prepare, <laughs> prepare three coffins. Yes. Yeah. My mistake. all right so we've talked about uh settings and time of day and time of year um how do you feel about introducing an actual ticking clock into your stories you know there are only eight hours left there are only seven hours left there's only 15 minutes left do you feel uh that works do you think at this point that's a tired trope I, I think it's a tired trope only when it's overused. I, I think that, again, as, as we said earlier, uh, sometimes the pressure of we only have this much time to make X happen, you know, mm-hmm. is important to that story. It's like 24. He wasn't talking about people. He wasn't talking about double donuts. He, you know, he was, he was talking, we got 24 hours to pull this off or we're screwed. Right. And so, Always. Every job he had, 24 hours. Yeah, which is We've that's a hell of a twenty four hours to make this sandwich. Damn it. Right. And and in, in one case, you know, again, dealing with terrorism and nuclear bombs or radi- you know, they're gonna go off and radiate uh, the uh, the city and all that kind of stuff. The the desperate, despicable things that the character Jack Bauer had to do mm-hmm. in order to get the information so that he could get to and possibly stop this would seem less necessary if he had two weeks. Right, right, yeah, you know, right. It, we it's the stay. time pressure yeah. Yeah. that makes uh, make adds the appeal, yeah, right? uh, and and the urgency or of that justifies or, or theoretically yeah. justifies the extremes. 
Now, I'm going to say something that's almost an old argument at this point, or old point, but I'm going to make it, you know, I always wanted to see Jack Bauer coming out of a commercial, you know, running down the hallway to, to the next thing he had to do with a sandwich in his hand or slamming out of the men's room, you know, not even zipper, just, you know, paper towel, drying a paper towel, yep. throwing it in the garbage as he kept running to just to get the human elements in there because he never ate and he never had to go to the bathroom. It was amazing. I think he drank a, a little bit of water once in a while. But, you know, that that, that urgency, right? As a, you know, I'm not I'm, in another story like in Genius High where we have, you know, a couple of comical characters. You could make a guy really have to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, I opened it with a guy wanting to get in the pool with the girl that he had a crush on. But she looked so gorgeous to him coming out of the pool that his Batman swimming suit got very tight and he went rolled over on his stomach to hide it. And now he was in he was trapped (laughs) because there she was saying, come into the pool. He could no way could he get up off that. And then her father came out behind him and he was even worse in trouble. And then his best friend who would never let him hear the end of it and his his best friend's little sister who had a crush on him. He there was nothing. He had to wait till there were. The, the best friend slammed in the water next to the girl that he wanted to be next to and distracted everyone so he could run and jump in the pool and hope the cold water served the trick. Yes, yeah. yeah. So it, was, <laughs> it was a um, a way of really showing this guy as vulnerable. You know, yeah. I wanted him to be. And, and that's part of setting, too, you know, the humanity of the, um, the circumstances. So, yeah. there we go. I think again, you know, you're, you're talking about the humanizing of Jack Bauer, and I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I don't remember him having any of the particular functions that most human beings do. That's but right. I remember that almost everybody else around him did, and there were yes, but not Jack. Not Jack. He's not time to take a leak. It's just no. It's, no. it's not in the script. You know? you know what? I have no time for a bladder. Yeah. Right. Really. So just I've let me gotta, cut it out. Got to catch yeah, these terrorists. Damn it. But, you know, again, when you're the settings, um, the env- the environment, the, the ticking clock or the lack thereof, identifying time of day and all that, uh, all these are elements, I think, that need to be used properly. And and if it's not necessary, if it's not necessary, then, you know, again, as we've said, don't worry about it. But it, it give us something to work with. Like, you know, if, if we know that the kid is going to school, he's getting ready to run to school. I don't necessarily need to know that the bell will go off at 8.15 and he'll be late unless that's an element you think is important to show the, why he's rushing or whatever. Otherwise, right. And if it's, if it's going to contribute to the right. characterization. Right. right. It's gonna, he's going to get to school. He's going to hit the classroom and the story yeah. you know, will take us where it's going to take us. We don't need yeah. to know exact time. But right. And yeah. I w- I, again, I would stress that when you're you, in your first draft, if these elements come up and use them, then fine. But one... Don't make them out of concrete. And two, don't sweat if you don't have them yet. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, that's where you create that fake thing that people call writer's block. I don't know how, I'm not sure what tone the leaves will be. It doesn't make a difference. Yeah. Get the story out the first time. And then as you're getting to know the story and telling yourself the story, as you finish the first draft, the, the, the picture will come back, come into a tighter focus during the rewrites 
and and that's how you tell the damn story. Yeah, you get it out first, and then you refine it and you Absolutely. fix the setting. And this and it's it's all part of the process. I'm I'm gonna jump back just one moment again. Woo, jump yeah, back! Yeah. Jump back! Out! Dun, 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 dun. Okay. Anyway, it's one of those days. Yeah. Right. Anyway, um, uh, also that can help people. And and again, we we sort of touched on this. Where you go, what you see, what you do, you, you store that. Because as a writer, as a creator, you pull from your experiences. And what was funny was that uh, this subway experience I, I mentioned at the earlier beginning of the, of the, the episode. Um, years ago, I wrote a supernatural thriller uh, called The Demon Chronicles. And actually, it was a serious concept that I came up with. One of the stories takes place in a similar situation, except the train had stopped at an abandoned station waiting for clearance up ahead. And I'm not going to say what happens because uh, that story isn't out yet. Uh, some of its brothers and sisters are, but not that one. And people are sitting there just like I was in the train. There's only a few people in one car, but there are several others in others. And suddenly the cars, it, things happen to the passengers. It's not, not fun for them. And no! as, I there, as I was sitting there in the train the other night, in the darkness, well, in a semi-darkness, you know, waiting, I remember thinking, oh, wow, this is, this is like that setup. Well, if I make it through here, this will be an interesting start. <laughs> you know? so, I remember what happened to those people. I'm yeah, not it didn't work out well for them. Yeah, keep your eye on the windows. So it's a thing of where, you know, things that happened to you, as, as you said at the beginning, even though this story of mine, this actual experience of mine, didn't turn into some dramatic TV episode, you can use it. And sometimes it inspires you, or sometimes you will think you've written something and you'll go, oh, and here I am sitting in such and such a place. Let me take a look around and see if I want to add any of this to the thing I'm working on. Yeah. More depth. I was uh, I was driving home from work uh, Friday, and uh, double yellow line, mm -hmm. right? and two lanes on one side, two lanes on the other, and um, I'm driving, and someone got impatient on the other side, crossed over the double yellow, is heading towards me. Oh, jeez! Like headlong collision. And then got around and got back across the, the double yellow. And, of course, I honked and, you know, all my bronx came out. So there's a lot of colorful ad adverbs and adjectives coming out. Um, I'm glad to hear that. Yes, you know. Yeah. But, again, there's another beginning of a story. What could that person, you know, be so in a hurry for mm. that they would risk an, a head-on collision, you know? Yep. And if it was an honorable person who, you know, someone's sick in the car and running, that's one story. Mm -hmm. If it's, yeah, I'm late for the church and my wife is, my lovely bride to be is going to say no if I'm late, or if he's just a jerk, right? It's completely, yep. uh, you know, very different stories. But anything, anything can spark that. And, yep. and you know, let your setting be as inspiration. Or the settings around you to be as much of an inspiration as any other element that gets you to tell the damn story. story. And and there we, we go, ladies and gentlemen. Well, we told it well. So, um, folks, please, 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 um, send in some comments. Let us know if there's anything we touched on that you want to know more about. Uh, if you disagree, which is also fine, uh, you know, let, let us know um, because we'll be talking about this and more next week because we have another thrilling chapter 
dun, dun, dun. Get, get your right on. Uh, and as I said, uh, Chris and I will talk about this, but somewhere in the next three, four episodes, we're going to do the Twilight Zone thing. You know, we're going to do just discuss that because a lot of what Serling did in the early years and what some of the things that are happening in this one, setting, characters, all of these are ex excellent examples of, of really tremendous storytelling. Uh, and I think, you know, you can, um, you can learn a lot from it, uh, but I also think you can enjoy it, which is a nice thing, yeah. too, to, just to enjoy well, a good story. Yeah. I think we should, you know, we play around with maybe we'll use it as a, a review of some of the stuff we've already talked about. Mm -hmm. is, you know, it's particular. But also, if, you know, people want to write into the comments and say, please, you know, can you look at this episode or discuss this episode, that kind of stuff, you know, we'll entertain it and see what we can do. There's a um, there's an episode I want to ask you to try and find uh, one of the older what? episodes. Yes, that's right, one of the older Twilight Zone episodes. Um, and much uh, what I'll say is this: it it stars Ed Wynn, which you know we old fogies will know who that is. Uh, stars Ed Wynn, and he's a street peddler. And I want you to see if you can find that one. I, I've do seen. You know, do you know the name of it? Uh, I'll text it to you because I off the top of my head I do not. All but right. but for those of you playing at home. Yes. Original series Twilight Zone episode starring Ed Wynn. W Y N N. Yes. There you go. Ed Wynn. So, uh, you know, yeah, let's, as let's, let's see if we can find it. Yeah, actually, folks, you know, another thing you can drop us a, a little note. What is, if you watch the Twilight Zone, the original or the new one, uh, what's your favorite episode or what do you like about it or what do you don't like about it, you know, for that matter? But either way, you know, let us know. We'll mention some of that next time we talk. Okay, cool. buddy. As always, a pleasure. Always a pleasure, sir. Absolutely. Thank you. And, and thank you, uh, Sonny and uh, Silvio, is it? Uh, Sonny and Silvio. You will yeah. never see Isabella because she's above all the rest of us. Yeah, she's executive. She's executive. Well, she, the only yeah. one she'll um, uh, deal with, any, any of us puny humans, is your godson, Tyler. She has chosen him as the representation of the human race. Ah. And that's the only one she approves of. That's <laughs> the only one she... Okay. That's it. The rest, we're like... You're putting she, food on the table for her. No, no, she no, doesn't no, approve no. of you. Oh, God. That's no. You wow. can, you know what? Leave some treats there for me. Maybe I'll eat them. Yeah. Oh, I'm geez. too special. Well, thank you, Sonny, <laughs> Silvio. Thank you for your cameo appearances. Tail and And uh, Chris, as always, a pleasure. Take care, man. Peace, brother.